Hi everyone, and welcome to the show. I'm Mandy Kay. And I'm Matthew Vos. This is episode number 14 of Pop Culturally Deprived, and today we're going to be talking about Monty Python and the Holy Grail on your Tis But a Scratch podcast. So, Mandy, why have you never watched one of the, the most famous comedies? Monty Python was... I could be completely wrong about this, but my memory is that Monty Python was something the cool kids watched, and I was never one of the cool kids, and so it was really just something that was in my periphery. I didn't really know what it was. And then I kept hearing people talk about it, talk about it, talk about it. And so one day, I guess in about probably like 2006, I tried, I decided I was going to watch it. And I got like maybe 10 minutes in and was like, nope, can't do this. Because I was by myself in a room trying to watch it. And I was just not having any fun. So... Yeah. And I also so, think I've never watched it because I'm not British. Okay. There are people who have seen and enjoyed this film who aren't British. I know. <laughs> I know. But I need an excuse. It, it's astounding because it's um, – and I think we'll, as we'll go through, we'll find out you know most of it already because everyone references this film. It's just so much part of the culture that you pick up through osmosis. Because it is incredibly funny. It tried so much and then brought it to the, the silver screen rather than doing it through a TV show. Was this actually um, like a movie, like a cinematic release movie? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I had no idea. It was released in the United States that way? Yes. I had no idea. Yeah, no, this was like an actual movie, like a movie movie. <laughs> <laughs> on VHS and everything. <laughs> We'll, okay. we'll get into the detail of all that in, in a second with the production history. I When we talked about Die Hard, I made a reference that it was one of three films that we had on VHS that I watched over and over and over and over. This is the second of those three. Um, this is something that I would watch on Saturday morning. My mum would come back from the shopping. I'd make some sort of Monty Python reference at her. And she would just look at me and be like, I know what you've been watching. <laughs> but we okay. have... We have a family uh, story about this. I suspect it's apocryphal, and I suspect it's it's changed and been embellished over the years. In oh, pretty much this week, this day, a few years ago, my, my parents were in Manchester visiting my uncle, and my mum was heavily pregnant with my sister. So they decided to go and see Monty Python and the Holy Grail in the hope that she would laugh hard enough at it to induce labour. <laughs> And that's their memory of going and seeing this, just having these expect expectations of, okay, be funny, make us laugh a lot. <laughs> that's fantastic. No, it wasn't on the original release of the film, so, so I had a good debate with my dad this week about, was it actually this film? Could it have been something else? It wasn't Life of Brian, because that was later, so... We're sticking with the fact it's the Holy Grail, and I suspect at some point my mum will probably just correct us both, because she knows everything. As moms do. <laughs> As moms do. She beats us at Trivial Pursuit every single time. <laughs> <laughs> so, Monty Python, let's give us a bit of uh, production history. Monty Python and the Holy Grail was released in 1975. It was directed by Terry Jones and Terry Gilliam, who uh, shared duties across both the live action and the animated sequences. It was written by Monty Python, which is the gestalt British comedy group made up of Graham Chapman, John Cleese, Eric Idle, Michael Palin, Terry Jones, and Terry Gilliam, who isn't British. He's from Minneapolis. That's interesting. A couple of weeks ago, we were told that Raiders of the Lost Ark is a Madonna film, because you can refer to it by its first name only. This film is referred to as Holy Grail, 
So we drop the Monty Python part. So I'm going to dub this as a Barbarino film from the very old John Travolta series. This film is the first movie of new material that was written by Monty Python. Uh, Following their successful television series, Monty Python's Flying Circus, and the made-for-TV movie, and now for something completely different, which was done for US viewers, it comprised the the best of their sketches. So when we said that this is their first film, it's not, but the first one was done very much of, okay, the US audience has missed two seasons of our show, so let's just do the best bits and, and get them caught up as we try and break the US. Well, here's an interesting thing about that. I've never seen it. But I frequently use the phrase, and now for something completely different. So somehow <laughs> this has gotten into my brain without me knowing it. So for them to segue, because of the surrealist nature of the humor, it was really hard to go from one scene to, a, to the next quite often. And it was just sketches rather than scenes. But when they found themselves stuck, they would either go to some completely random animation, like you've seen here, or go to John Cleese in a suit behind a desk going... And now for something completely different. I've seen that. Sometimes that desk would be in a field, sometimes in an office, sometimes in a pit, sometimes he wouldn't be in a suit. <laughs> <laughs> it just became another sketch. A, a way of getting themselves out of a hole when a sketch stopped being funny became <laughs> part of the comedy. Okay, I, I feel like I've seen that and maybe that's how it ended up in my brain, but I, I don't know when or how or why. Monty Python focused particularly on absurd surrealist humour and slapstick. This film absolutely continues that tradition, applying that humour and logic to the Arthurian legend. The troupe were given a budget of just under £230,000. A large proportion of that came from bands like Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin. They were looking to use this funding to work around the taxes that were around 80-90% to for the highest earners in Britain at the time. So they were were writing it off to uh, be able to make a loss on it. (laughs) The low budget forced them to make several decisions about the way they shot and developed the film, some of which were decisions like, let's remove the horses and use coconuts instead, which I think paid off. (laughs) Into basically the greatest sight gag of any film. (laughs) Well, maybe. (laughs) Maybe. This film was followed by a couple of other films, which we'll discuss a bit later, and the hit musical Spamalot, which was written by Eric Idle, one of the troupe, and based upon the Holy Grail, but with a number of deviations from the film. Uh, King Arthur, the the actor behind King Arthur, is regularly replaced, and then it gets played in different styles by different comedians. And the Lady of the Lake is now included as a major character. Interesting. The role of Lady of the Lake was originated by Sarah, Sarah Ramirez when it was opened on Broadway. Um, and there's a fantastic story that she, because she won a Tony uh, in the first year it opened, and it won several Tonys because it is a great show. But she she won the Tony for Best Actress, and the producers at ABC offered her any part she wanted in any of their shows. So there is a world in which she ended up on Desperate Housewives. There's a world when she en- ended up on Lost. But she ended up on Grey's Anatomy as Callie Torres, which, given she was in that show for 10 years, is probably a good decision. Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> When Spamalot opened in London, the uh, role went to Hannah Waddingham, who originated it. And I was lucky enough to see her in that part, along with Tim Curry as King Arthur. And she is now more famous as Scepter Anella from Game of Thrones, the one who walks along crying shame at Cersei Lannister. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I know who she is. Yeah. Finding that <laughs> out, I was culture, like... I've seen you guys. <laughs> 
that was it was quite a shock to have found that out and went oh okay great i want to go back to you've seen tim curry live i've seen him in this yeah no just this that's pretty amazing and, and we'll also discuss tim curry live or, or live performances when we talk about um rocky horror at some point in the future yes yep i've actually seen spam lot twice the second time the lady of the lake was played by bonnie langford who is a uh, famous actress and singer over here. So some people go, oh, Bonnie Langford, terrific. What well up, Matthew? You're just sat there in silence going, who? That's because I'm a bloody American. Yeah. She was one of the assistants to the Doctor on Doctor Who at one point, but she's been in lots of musicals and lots of stuff. Wait, she was on Doctor Who? Yeah, she was one of the assistants. Companions? Companions. That's They're the called word. companions, Matthew. <sighs> yeah, okay. Yes, they are. Okay. She was one of the companions on Doctor Who. You can edit all of that out, including my sigh at Doctor Who, because I, I don't <laughs> want to be lambasted over that. Oh, Doctor Who. I'm probably going to just cut all of that. Don't worry. <laughs> Except I might not, because it's funny. The musical Spamlot has received mixed reactions from the original Monty Python group. It mostly, mostly they were pleased that people liked it and that it was topping up their pension funds. Which is one way of looking at it. valid reason to like it. I mean, come on. Yeah. Yeah, Monty Python as a franchise has gone that way. It's just been the thing they've used to to help keep them going. John Cleese particularly, which given he did a a touring stand-up thing that was called the Alimony Tour after he got got divorced last time. And then, then they did a Monty Python reunion that was supposed to be one night or one week and ended up running for 50 nights or something. Okay. And wasn't that funny? Anyway. <laughs> you have strong feelings about this. I do have strong feelings about this. I have strong feelings about John Cleese. So. Okay. Mm. Well, usually at this point, I would give a brief synopsis of the movie that we watched. However, I watched this movie and I have no idea what it's about. So, Matthew, do you want to take this one? Before Jesus was betrayed by Judas, uh, he had the Last Supper and he had a, a cup at the Last Supper. And he said, drink of this wine uh, for it is my blood. That cup was also then used during the crucifixion to capture some of his blood. And in doing so, it became the Holy Grail. It was eventually carried by Joseph of Arimathea to Britain at some point during probably the Crusades. And it has been woven into the Arthurian legend as one of the the Crusades. He went on to find the Holy Grail and and restore uh, some sort of balance to the land, some sort of culture and improvement to the peasantry that was going on at the time. This film ignores most of that and is a series of sketches which <laughs> they wrap around the Arthurian legend. I'm sitting here like, <laughs> oh my god, is he pulling this out of his butt? Like, <laughs> no, that is the history of the Holy Grail. That's what this movie is about. <laughs> it's the quest for the Holy Grail. That's you were reading Grail. that, right? No. Really? No, I know it. It's the Holy, it's the Holy Grail. Okay. <laughs> it is literally one of the things, like the Holy Grail. Okay. <laughs> I read a lot. I don't go out very much. I, I don't like people. <laughs> All right. That's why we do podcasts instead of yeah. on Friday nights instead of going out, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 20 past midnight. <laughs> FYI, everyone. Yeah. Mandy's really ill and drugged up. I'm really <laughs> tired. So... <laughs> That's because Matthew lives in an irresponsible time zone. Yeah. Matthew, how did you watch this movie? Well, I already know, but I mean, 
<laughs> you told us already, but tell us again. How did you watch this movie? Where can the fine folks at home watch this movie if they want to be like you? They can come around and watch my DVD with me. That is the correct answer. <laughs> Welcome to come around and watch my DVD with me. I have the fantastic two-disc DVD edition in widescreen that includes the lost 24 seconds. And it says that on the box. <laughs> fantastic. I even know which 24 seconds. <laughs> Because I've watched it three times this week. Oh my god. Oh my god. Okay, you guys, I watched it on YouTube. Because <laughs> thank god I didn't have to pay for this movie. <gasps> it is available in its entirety on YouTube, you guys. Like, multiple uploads. Oh, I bet it doesn't movie. have that 24 seconds. Probably not, but I think that's probably okay. We've kind of set expectations for this in the past. You, we, we've mentioned it was coming... Uh, you, you've groaned, I've given a hip hip hooray. Mandy, what were your expectations for this film? I hoped I would like it, honestly. <laughs> I, I hoped that I had grown in in whatever it is that you need to have to like Monty Python since I tried to watch it a decade ago. Plus five to Britishness. <laughs> yes. I mean, I have a British friend now, you guys. So I, I you know, that? something should them. have grown in me. <laughs> so I, I hoped that I would like it. And I think we've obviously already discussed this. You have no experience of Monty Python except for that one brief trial. Yes. Other than just hearing people talk about it all the time. I mean, there are a lot of things that I was familiar with because I've heard people talk about the joke or maybe seen a YouTube clip. Um, like bring out your dead, the the whole sparrow thing. Like I, I hadn't seen all of it, but like I know that what is the airspeed of an unladen sparrow is like a riddle. <laughs> like I knew that, and so it was interesting to kind of see it. But yeah, just bits and pieces. We we've got angry listeners at home being like, Mandy, it's a swallow. It's the airspeed from unladen swallow. I'm so sorry. You're right. You're absolutely right. In my defense, I am medicated right now because I am sick, but we did not want to delay this recording for all of you final listeners. So I am medicated and Matthew is sleep deprived. Yeah. No, so no, no, you're no. getting a very extra special episode of Pop Culture Related Deprived this week. You need to roll a bluff check right now to see if people believe that lie or not. <laughs> We didn't want to delay this. <laughs> you didn't want to delay this because you don't want to have to watch this film again. <laughs> yes, that is 100% true. 100%. I watched this movie. I wasted an hour and a half of my time. Did not want to do it again if we push this recording later. So, spoiler alert, you guys. I hated this movie. Yeah, let's move into enjoying it. You Did you actually hate the movie? Do you, do you begrudge having spent 90 minutes watching it? I do. Actually, after about the first 20 minutes, after we got past the, um, oh, I don't even know which part it was. I think it was, yeah, it was when we got to the Knights of Knee and when Lancelot was uh, with the, the weird named twins. Was it Zoot and Dingo? <laughs> Is that what their names are? Zoot and Dingo in Castle Anthrax. Yeah, that... I was out at that point. I couldn't, 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 yeah, no. Sir Galahad as well. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay, you really didn't like this. I'm sorry. 
Um, I, I okay, so I'm gonna make a statement here. Oof. I would rather watch Clerks again than watch <gasps> this movie again. Even with the slut shaming. Even with the slut shaming. <sighs> Mostly, I think it's because I didn't get it. I didn't. I didn't get the humor of this, and so I don't know if that just means I'm very stupid or just very not British. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's the same thing. We've had some. We, we've reached out on Twitter to see uh, if people want to give us feedback and their thoughts on this. We've had an interesting mix. The, the very first time either of us mentioned it, it's just a flurry of gifts. You know, the the I'm invincible, <laughs> to say me, or there are some who call me Tim. Just all this <laughs> stuff comes to you, and people start quoting things, and they're really excited that we're doing this. And I've had people going, I can't wait to hear you talk about it. Fabulous. Oh, God, I'm just letting so many people down right now. And then, a little bit later, you get a couple of other people who creep in. Creep in, that makes it sound really bad. A couple of other people who say... Yeah, why? Why would you watch this, guys? Uh, so I'm particularly mentioning Laura, who I had a really interesting conversation with tonight. I said, okay, so you don't like it. And she actually used kind of the same expression as, as you said. She said it makes her terminally uncool. <laughs> okay. Which, which is hilarious, because it's not the, the cool kids who use this. It's the ones, that the hipster types who like to know the thing that other people don't know and go and watch it. Because um, right. I think we can probably agree, I was not one of the cool kids at school. <laughs> You don't have That's to agree. That's true. We, we have seen <laughs> pictures of you uh, with your Ghostbusters toys. Yeah, exactly. But I'd, I'd seen this. This this was the thing you saw when you weren't one of the cool kids. <laughs> I guess it was just different over here. I mean, I know Laura is, is British too. But for me, it, it, I think trying to be British was trying to be cool here. I can see that. <laughs> now, now we're just villains. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Laura made some really good points, you know, being not a fan of slapstick and enjoying a lot of uh, verbal quick-witted humour means this won't appeal to you. This is slightly weird stuff, and if it doesn't land, it does not land. It is just, there's nothing for you here. Whereas another comedy would do, okay, let's throw in some dialogue humour, let's throw in some visual humour, let's throw in a bit of slapstick and, and give try and give something for everyone. This, however, does have a bit of the, the nice written humour with just, just the opening with the credits. Come to Sweden this year, the lovely lake, the wonderful telephone system. <laughs> so is this the point where I have to completely embarrass myself for everybody? How would you embarrass yourself? I do not know. Please tell us. <laughs> so I watch this on YouTube. And, you know, a lot of times when you watch something that someone has pirated and, and uploaded onto YouTube in a, in a way that it, it shouldn't be there... You get weird subtitles, um, often in a foreign language. And so I had actually gotten to the point where I had typed out a tweet of, oh, hey, this is weird. This thing that I'm watching has subtitles in another language. And then I, I you know, <laughs> didn't actually hit send, thankfully, because then I got really confused that it started talking about Sweden and then telephones and moose. <laughs> Moose once bit my sister. <laughs> <laughs> and then I figured out, oh my gosh, this is part of the gag. <laughs> but I actually thought that, that it was not part of the movie, that it, whoever uploaded it onto YouTube had inserted those there for a little bit. Yep. <laughs> it's very much a, th a style of Monty Python of 
if there is a shot, you can put a gag in there. If you're doing credits, why not do something silly with them? And why not get more elaborate? And, and you see this all the way through. They've got... Uh, they speed up the plot by having um, the book of the film introducing all the knights. Then you have, I think it's uh, Terry Gilliam, the, the, one of the director's wives, turning it. And then at the end, some gorilla hand coming in and snatching her away. Just, yes, what was that? It's what, just what? <laughs> another gag. It's just, guys, we've got a shot on on screen and we're not making fun of something. <laughs> Let's put some it humor It just confused in. me. I didn't understand. I really liked the credits gag. I did. Like, once I figured out what was going on and got over being really embarrassed, then it was really funny. But then they just started doing things I didn't understand. <laughs> and I, I like that as it goes on. Pacing's a bit weird, but very much like the show. It's it's all just about the sketches. So there's times when they go, okay, we kind of need to have a narrative because it's meant to be a film. So let's just speed it up by having the book of the film. Or, okay, we've done all the gags for this bit while they're looking for the grail. Let's just do a quick animation that covers several years at once. Um, it includes them eating their minstrels. To then get us through to the bit where they meet the Enchanter. And just get to the end of the film. I love that idea. Like, we don't have to deal with pacing. We don't really have to deal with plotting. We can put them in peril and being chased by a, a monster. And then the animator suffers a fatal heart attack and the monster goes away. <laughs> I love that you think that's so funny. And you're <laughs> it's laughing. Terrific. I love that. In in the way that another film would go, okay, if we were talking now, we're, we're saying this is being made by some sort of comedy troupe, they would find a way to write to the next bit of it. These guys don't even care. They just go, okay, how can we turn the fact we don't know how to transition from this sequence to this sequence into a funny gag? Is it the end of um, Castle Anthrax? They take him off and, and <laughs> you have him trying to go back in because the ladies. Um, right. So then you cut to the narrator, who's, who then takes them back into the normal story. You have the gag with the narrator and people telling them to get on with it, and, and the fact there's no swallows in that scene. And, and they skip to the old man, played by Terry Gilliam again, who tells them about the uh, the enchanter they need to go and seek out and how he's going to be able to help them. And he then comes back in at the end, and, and they go, oh, it's the old man from scene 24. <laughs> now the scene he's in at the beginning, it's like scene 11. Something. So there's this real implication that we've just skipped through half the screenplay to get to it. Just the little gags like that. There's there's so much in there. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. And and I know you said um, the whole the whole Castle Anthrax sequence doesn't really land for you. It, it, no, not at all. Not even a little bit. It's a little on the nose of oh the knight goes in and there's the young. Uh, they're actually Scottish women um, all lusting after some men. We spend our time dressing, undressing, bathing, making exciting underwear. It's, it's a bit obvious and it's a bit like a, a Mel Brooks film or uh, Leslie Nielsen, something like that. But there's something in it that it's it's Michael Palin. So so he's already playing the knight who is supposed to be the, the chaste and the pure. <laughs> and And He's having to resist their advances because that's what the character is. And it's Michael Palin, who's kind of the, the nice middle class one of them. <laughs> okay, so this is something where you just have to be British and know who this person is to understand. A little bit, I think. And some of that comes from the way he portrays the character and, and his accent. I think when, when I've talked in the past about things like, oh, it, when a character has this accent or sounds in this way, 
you know where they come from you know a bit about their background he has a bit of the yorkshire accent which you hear in some of his other characters particularly kind of tells you you know a bit of bit of where he's come from and uh, his history okay and it's quite funny i i read um a really interesting thing about the development of the show and how they all had responsibility for the tv show particularly they wrote in either pairs or, or singularly and they all wrote very different styles of scenes which works really well when you're doing a sketch show so michael palin and terry jones would generally write the very uh, visual fanciful surrealism so things like the spanish inquisition sketch um anything i think there was a line of something like any anytime it opens on the english country landscape and some roaring soundtrack <laughs> something like that and then john cleese and terry chap uh, no john cleese and graham chapman they would often write very uh, verbal, very aggressive sketches together. And within this film, you can definitely see it. Times when you get the French taunting, when you get people fighting. That is straight out of them because that's what they went to as humour. They went straight to people arguing and having a go at each other. And Eric Idle often wrote the, the very language, high concept, uh, different types of sketch there's a, a terrific quote from John Cleese about Eric Idle's writing where he says, anything that got utterly involved with words and disappears up any personal orifice was definitely Eric's. <laughs> and <laughs> the one that I can completely point to for that, I think, is The Knights Who Say Me. Because that just ends up, it goes on several minutes too long and it's not quite tight enough. It's a really good idea and you can see the humour they're doing in it, but then it keeps going and it keeps going and it it just loses you. Yeah, it did. It did. You know what? I I have to say, I'm I am being just this horrible, grumpy person <laughs> right now. Ill and moaning and wailing and gnashing of teeth. There were <laughs> parts that were funny. I just don't think the movie as a whole worked for me. But there were individual pieces that I enjoyed, and even the one that made my brain explode the most is kind of funny. Maybe it's only funny now that I'm not watching it. Go on. Um, but uh, the the witch scene. <laughs> the witch. Yep. The witch trial. It's made out of yeah. wood, so she floats like a duck. <laughs> so if she weighs the same as a duck, she's a witch. Yep. Yeah, my brain exploded during yeah. that scene. But it's kind of funny now that I'm not watching it. <laughs> Is that the secret to Monty Python, to just not watch it anymore and just laugh at all the jokes? Yeah. And uh, and part of it comes from that it's doing a lot of very clever stuff, but it, but it's doing a lot at the same time. So there's a lot to take in. And I think actually when, when you get past the, the sort of obvious on-the-nose humor that they're doing right in front of you, you can take in some of the other stuff in the background. Um, so so in that scene, there's lots of times where, where Sir Bedemir is asking them questions and he's saying, okay, what else floats on water? Uh, stones, apple, bits of bread, churches, lead. <laughs> Just throwing this random stuff back at them. There's a guy in the back of the scene who's got shaving cream on his face. Oh, <laughs> so I didn't notice that. Halfway through having a shave and this all kicked off. And and even now, there's stuff as I'm watching that I I know, uh, hadn't noticed before. Again, earlier in that scene, Sir Bedemir asks him a question, and John Cleese answers him. But he takes the longest time to answer. And actually, I always watch John Cleese. And this time, I watched Eric Idle, 
And you can see he's also doing the acting of, of thinking about it. Oh, I'm not sure what the answer to this is or what might it be. And you can see it's going on so long, he starts laughing and he has to bite his side to stop himself laughing on camera and ruining the take. Okay. And you know, filming with them must have just been that constantly making each other laugh, having to redo shots. Oh, I'm sure. I'm mm. sure. So I'm I'm looking back over my thought stock from last night, and I can tell you exactly where the movie lost me. Go on. So here's my progression. 24 minutes in, and we're finally looking for the Holy Grail. It took 24 minutes for that to happen. And then after that, we meet the weird French dude, and he says something like, your mother was a hamster. <laughs> mother was a hamster, and your father smelled of elderberries. So then I said, what the actual F am I watching? The sound effects remind me of the smoke monster from Lost. Seriously, what the F? I don't understand. Zoot and Dingo? The Knights of Knee? I don't understand this movie. <laughs> these, these are my thoughts. That's exactly where it lost me through that whole sequence. Okay. And so after that, I was kind of... Um, yeah, after that, I was trying to figure out the dude's name. I thought I thought his name was Kumquat, but apparently it was Concord. And then it was Violent. And then, no, yeah. I can't do it. I can't. If this were a book, it would be a DNF, which is a did not finish. That's just where it lost me. And then the end came, and I I was mad. And it just I was mad at the end. Ends. Yeah. <laughs> It's like there was no point to the last 90 minutes of my life. And it just, I just, I didn't get it. I think, yeah, I'm sorry, Matthew. I'm sorry. I don't love this thing that you love. Does it take away anything that you knew some of these gags? So you're, you're putting them more into, oh yeah, this is where it's from. Great. Now make me laugh. No, because all of the ones that I had known about before were in those first 24 minutes. And I did laugh because I liked the first 24 minutes. See, and that's very much the bit that is, uh, there's no narrative. It's all sketch to sketch to sketch to sketch. And, and they're, they're leaning so heavily on the, the trope of uh, you have authority trying to assert itself and, and playing it absolutely straight. And that's why Graham Chapman's portrayal of Arthur is just, he doesn't go looking for any of the gags. He doesn't make faces. He doesn't do silly accents. He just plays it. I am Arthur, king of the Britons. And, and so he's trying to put on all this stuff. And it's the peasants or the guards or the people under the authority questioning him at every stage and trying to apply some sort of logic to the idiocy of the or, or, or the silliness of the myths. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he has the, the great thing about Lady of the Lake, her arm clad in the purest shimmering Samite, holding aloft Excalibur. But then you have the peasant saying, that's not a basis for a system of government. <laughs> right. <laughs> And and one of my favourite insults, some moistened bint, <laughs> giving out swords. Oh, okay. I, I think I missed that one. Yeah, his shout of, if I went around saying I was emperor just because some moistened bint had lobbed a scimitar at me, they'd put me away. <laughs> and I think I have used moistened bint in a trash-talking, playing Halo kind of way. <laughs> <laughs> But see, that's okay. It's in the first 24 minutes, and I like the first 24 minutes. <laughs> like, I think I just hit a wall. Like, I, I, I don't know why, but it just, it hit a wall. Yeah. Yeah, because you get to the Knights Who Say Knee, 
and then it goes into the whole Swamp Castle sequence, which is probably my my least favourite. I know other people are going to write and saying it's hilarious because of X and Y. And it is, but it's also one or two gags that go on for a very, very long time. Right. And as you say, it's incredibly violent, which was part of the point for them. No one was making particularly violent movies at the time. It was, I think, the Vietnam War. There was this very intellectual response to it of you can't condone violence in any form. You have to rebel against it. So we're going to make a film that has a huge amount of violence in it, has the blood on screen, which you don't normally have. And we're going to make it so you can laugh at it because it's ridiculous. Okay, that's fair. (laughs) So were there any that you had heard of before? Any moments from this film, any jokes, gags, or lines that you'd, you'd heard of before that you now place properly or that you now understand better? What's the airspeed velocity of an unladen swallow? <laughs> I've heard that before. And um, Bring Out Your Dead. And those are the two biggest ones, I think. Okay. So not not the stuff from the French taunting? No. Oh, no, that surprised me. Yeah. I mean, he was annoying as crap. <laughs> well, he's French. <laughs> Which I think, yes, that was the point. <laughs> to our French listeners, I love you very much. No, he doesn't. <laughs> I am not Jeremy Clarkson. You know, I said a minute ago about Graham Chapman playing King Arthur absolutely straight and not looking for the laugh. The French taunting is John Cleese playing it as comedically as possible and looking for the laugh in the way he moves his hands, the faces he does. He is trying to be silly and make you laugh. And you can see the difference in the two styles of acting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I, I love Graham Chapman doing it. Actually, it's reminiscent of the, the interview with James Masters recently, where he said coming from theatre, he did everything really big and really broad And when he went when he got to Buffy. And he said it was really hard acting against Anthony Stewart Head, who played everything very internal and very toned down. But when right. you actually watch it back on screen, you go, wow, he's just commanding everything without doing a thing. Yeah. It's, it's that same sort of portrayal. The only super memorable line from King Arthur in this movie that I remember is when he changes his mind and decides not to go to Camelot because it's a silly city or a silly place. Um, that That's honestly the only thing I, I really remember. It's only a model. <laughs> and you get, again, it's a thing just poking fun at the way cinema is made. Oh, it's so grand, it's so grand. I think there was a story of filming that scene and the model actually fell over on them. (laughs) Okay. I mentioned Spamalot in the production before. Have you seen it? Have you heard any of it? Um, I've heard or or seen a YouTube video of a song about Spam, and I don't know if it's from Spamalot. Spam, 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 Spam. That one. No, that's not from Spamalot. Oh, that, that's the only spam song I know. So that, that is but one that, of the favorite Python, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, and, and actually, this is this goes back to your thoughts a bit. Monty Python, as with any good comedy troupe, did a lot of songs because song is a very easy way to do silly stuff. Um, there's one or two in this, but they did this whole scene about the love of spam, 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 and that <laughs> kind of because that's a Monty Python trope almost. That then feeds into the the, the idea of Spamalot okay. in the musical and, and goes, ah, oh, we can completely place that. That's a Monty Python thing. I think they even sold Spam sandwiches at the <laughs> the musical. 
Oh, goodness. Yeah, I didn't have one. <laughs> I bought a t-shirt that said, what happens in Spamalot stays in Spamalot. Because the, the, the point of the musical where they get Spamalot, they actually turn that whole sequence into a sort of Las Vegas casino. <laughs> and it's got this really big number with girls in feathers and huge dice being rolled out. It's fantastic. And the, the Knights, of Camel- Knights of the Round Table song goes on for several minutes and it's got a lot of embellishments. It includes one of my favourite lines. I think we all know that I quite like language jokes, words, using words in different ways, using words in ways you wouldn't expect. And they throw in the great line of, we're Knights of the Round Table. Not dawn, not dust, not late afternoon, but Knights... Of the round table. (laughs) (laughs) Of course you would like that line. Which is fabulous. (laughs) And they haven't they haven't hinted at that. They haven't it's so so easy to use a joke too early or hint that it's coming or something. They just throw it out and then move on to the next sequence, but that's terrific. So you got a buffet reference in, but there's not been a Star Trek reference in this whole episode yet. I'm not sure I'm gonna be able to reference Star Trek with this one. I mean, I probably can. I might have to work for it. <laughs> I would recommend seeing Spamalot, though. It is it is worth it for everyone. And even if you haven't liked Monty Python or the Holy Grail, it does go much more towards witty humour, modern humour, a bit more dialogue, so, so visual and verbal, rather than some of the surreal slapstick stuff you get in, in uh, a pure Monty Python show. Okay. One of the things with Monty Python is they wrote all these sketches and they, they considered themselves writers rather than actors. Um, so they would write, but they wouldn't really care who was playing that part in the in the scene. They just, this is the person who's best at it. Graham Chapman is really good at straight acting, so he should be the lead man. Fine. But it means they crop up in many, many roles during all of the shows, during this film. They just, you see John Cleese in many, many different parts. Did that throw you or affect your watching of the film at all? No, it didn't. Because, I mean, it was so over the top and slapstick. And, you know, you just expected to see everybody everywhere. Like, oh, we need a woman? Okay, I'm going to take this man and throw a wig on him. You know, yeah. that's it. That's just what I expected. <laughs> ah, Terry Jones. Okay. He played the women. <laughs> <laughs> Just almost not ex- not quite exclusively, but generally, yeah. Terry Jones. Terry Jones does a very good woman. Very very funny. And to the extent he also plays Prince Herbert in in the Tower of Swamp Castle. And it took me the longest time to realise that was him. I always thought that was one other actor they brought in for that. Was he the one who was trying to be rescued because his yeah. father was making him marry somebody? Yes. Okay. That's the one who also plays Sir Bedamir. So at the witch trial. And he also plays Dennis's mother um, in the Constitutional Peasants. Oh, there's some lovely filth over here, Dennis. Ooh, how do oh, how do you do? Okay. Okay. <laughs> I order you to stop talking. Order, eh? Who do you think you are? I'm your king. I didn't vote for you. <laughs> so should the rest of this episode just be oh. quoting Monty Python? Yeah, happily. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think we should wrap up. Okay. Is yeah. Well, is there anything else that you want to talk about in regards to Monty Python and the Holy Grail? Quite easily, yes. I could just go through my list of <laughs> different scenes and ask you about them. But I think looking forward from this film, um, Life of Brian is also on your list, which is the, the next film that followed this. Um, and then there's even one after that called Monty Python and the Meaning of Life. I'm not planning on taking the Life of Brian off your list. 
So what are your thoughts going into having to watch that at some point? I'm scared. <laughs> that That's how I feel about that. I will say there is a song from the life of Brian that I really like, Always Look on the Bright Side of Life. <laughs> Uh, we sang that song at one of our Sunday assemblies a couple months back, nice. and it was wonderful. I like that song. It was great, and it's very happy. I, I wasn't mentioning it because it's from the film that's coming up, so that's why I didn't mention it earlier. Um, it well, is, it, it's funny because it's used everywhere in Britain. If you are closing it? out something, you play that song and people sing along. It's either that or like Hey Jude. Okay. <laughs> the go-to's. So- um, well, I didn't. I'll be honest. I did not know this song until we decided to sing it for Sunday Assembly <laughs> because I'm not a Monty Python fan. I've right. never watched Monty Python. But the life of Brian seems. My perception of the life of Brian seems to me that it's more of a cohesive story instead of a series of sketches, and and so that makes me think I might enjoy it more. But I could be wrong. I don't know. Yeah. Aside from the chronological order, that is why I thought it was best watching this one first because you've got an idea of the humour but Life of Brian is the better film, better narrative So you just gave me the crap first, okay got it No, because this is my favourite This is one of the great <laughs> films of all time this, It's just Some of the stuff they're doing here is at the time it was made was doing some really cutting edge clever stuff and even now there's not many people who go as far as this I mean, I, I think you could absolutely make this film now and it would still be original and obviously not original because it was made once before. Okay. But the, the hypothetical metaphor that I'm spinning still stands. Okay. So leaving behind the hilarity that is me doing Monty Python sketches, uh, we wanted to address a couple of bits of feedback that we've had. Steph mentioned a couple of weeks ago that Angel's credit sequence has footage in it that wasn't used in Angel. She's dead right. It's actually footage from a Buffy episode called Anne, which is set in L.A. So it is the Los Angeles scene that Angel is portraying. But yeah, they, they stole footage from something else. If you watched all of Angel, you would not have seen that footage. And we've got a tweet. Griffin Miller is very pleased to have his new laptop arriving since he has been personal computer deprived. I don't think that hashtag is aimed at this podcast. He is definitely PC deprived. Griffin, we feel you. We're glad your new laptop has arrived. <laughs> well, if you want to get in touch with us and give us your comments on this or any other movie we've discussed, or if you happen to be personal computer deprived, you can tweet at us on Twitter at Eloquent Gushing or using the hashtag PC deprived to send us your thoughts. You can also email us at podcast at eloquentgushing.com or you can comment on this post on eloquentgushing.com. Personally, I'm at Mandy Kay. And personally, I'm Matthew Vos. Please also remember to rate and review us on iTunes because it really is the best way to help people discover our show. We'll be back next week with another episode of Pop Culturally Deprived, where we'll we'll return to the Firefly universe with the movie Serenity. Until next time. Place I'd rather be since I found Serenity. Hooray! And until next time, I'm Mandy Kay. And I'm not a witch. They dress me up like this. 